As moms, we often wonder, am I doing enough for my kids? I'm here to tell you, you are super mama. That's because we have an undeniable superpower, our intuition, and it never steers us wrong. I call it our mom sense. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta, and I'm the host of That's Total Mom Sense. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, wife, and mom of three, twins plus one. Now, if I had a dollar every time I heard, gee, you have your hands full. On my podcast, I interview influential moms from various industries and cover topics that all first-time parents grapple with, from getting your baby to sleep to screen time allowance, your new normal in your marriage, and how to dedicate time to yourself. Learn and laugh along with that total mom sense. This episode has been brought to you by The Mama to Mama Project by Misha Vayner of Your Well Guide. Misha's mission is to support overwhelmed mothers in feeling their best without the stress. The Mama to Mama Project offers struggling mamas a range of complimentary wellness offerings from mini health coaching sessions to pelvic floor health assessments to fitness classes and more in exchange for a donation of any amount to Moms for Moms NYC, who are providing necessities such as formula and diapers to struggling mothers due to the pandemic and even otherwise. Misha believes that creating this positive energy cycle of us collectively giving back to one another raises our vibration and is a key part in our collective healing. To learn more about taking advantage of the offerings in the Mama to Mama project and giving back to Moms for Moms, visit www.mishavayner.com backslash Mama Project. During these uncertain times when fear and anxiety are just as pervasive as coronavirus itself, it's okay to give yourself permission to find joy in the little things and share a laugh with friends and family. As they say, laughter is the best medicine. And in my humble opinion, we have a metaphorical doctor to help us, Zarna Garg. Yes, there's a double meaning here because she's South Asian. She's a lawyer turned comedian, mom of three, and I'm very blessed to call her a dear friend. Zarna and I met earlier this year and became fast friends. I was fortunate to work with her on her branding and her website. So shameless plug, check out zarnagarg.com. And you'll see a lot of shocking pink across the pages because A, it's damn near shocking for a South Asian mom to make her mark in comedy. And B, pink is overtly feminine and bold and stands out in an industry of men. Elle Woods approved. And yes, that was a girly lawyer joke, which pretty much sums my case in point. Zarna Garg is an award-winning screenwriter and stand-up comedian and headlines a monthly show at Caroline's on Broadway called My American Dream. Zarna has produced and performed in multiple sold-out comedy shows in top comedy clubs across New York City, including the groundbreaking Hindus shows. She has expanded into online comedy shows across multiple time zones, a move which has recently covered in the New York Times and Ruckus Avenue Radio. Her debut romantic comedy screenplay, Rearranged, won the Best Comedy Screenplay Award, placing first out of 11,000 scripts at the Austin Film Festival, and was also a 2019 Academy Nickel Fellowship semifinalist. The script has been optioned by Marginal Media Works. 
She has received numerous community accolades for pioneering one-of-a-kind works as an Indian mom of three and former lawyer turned comedian whose comedy uniquely combines the immigrant and American experience. She is one of a handful of Indian comedians worldwide and possibly the only one who publicly takes on her mother-in-law. She's currently providing comedy shows to first responders and their patients, as well as interviewing them on her Instagram live to find out whether they're still single. <laughs> Zarna, thank you. Thank you for being on That's Total Mom Sense. Thank you so much, Kanika, for having me. Namaste to all your listeners. That intro was phenomenal. I want to meet Zarna now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you? She's the best. There's no one like her. So tell me, Z, how are you and your family holding up right now during this pandemic we're going through? We're holding up as best we can. We are in New York City. We are. We didn't leave. We chose to stay here. It's a bit unnerving to see the city as quiet and empty as it is. The streets are empty. But I've learned over the last year that I really do have a comedian's brain. Like I see humor even in tragedy. Sadly, it's like <laughs> my brain is a little broken and off balance in that way. Like I tend to observe weirdness all around me. So I make jokes about all kinds of things and, you know, and my kids kind of play along with me and it helps in keeping the atmosphere a little light, I have to say. Absolutely. Because a constant sense of reminder of how grim it is would make it much more difficult for me and my family. Yes, yes. Now tell us about your kids and how are they, you know, passing the time right now? I have three kids. I have a 17-year-old daughter who's a junior in high school. I have a 14-year-old son who's just wrapping up eighth grade and an eight-year-old son who is in second grade. So everybody is different. My daughter, of course, is very preoccupied with staying on track with what she was doing in high school. Junior year is when things start to come together. The beginning of the lockdown was devastating for her. She was scheduled to be captain of two varsity sports teams that she loved very much, that she just lost overnight. Uh, she was supposed to be the president of the Latin club, which she lost again because all activities got suspended. Mm. So to spend all those years building something and to lose it overnight. Yes, missing school was, of course, hard. But missing all these things that she loved was devastating to her. And I understood it. You know, I get it. It's just, this is a passionate kid. Mm -hmm. My son fortunately was kind of checked out of middle school I'll be honest because he was you know on his way to high school like they had worked so hard in New York City to get into a high school you spend so much time working to take that entrance exam that the second half of eighth grade is meant to be a little lighter he wasn't affected as much I think he misses his friends but he does his schoolwork. I mean, remote learning is going on. Mm -hmm. And my second grader is just happy as long as his brother and sister are around. Even if they ignore him, yeah. <laughs> as long as they're around, he's fine. He doesn't really care, you know. Right. But I'm just going to say one thing about the misery of remote learning for the parent. Because all the passwords, platforms, I mean, it's like you would think that some nuclear secrets are being stored on these platforms. Mm. Like who is trying to break into my second grader's high school account? Right. He's counting ducks. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the teachers who are in that classroom are trying to break out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> We created, we, after like trying to remember everything, we created one password. Okay. You want to hear it? Yeah. Hashtag we hate each other. <laughs> 
we were like this is most likely where this is going to end because we're in each other's faces all the time right and now my people can break into my second grader school account <laughs> as parents we're saddled with homeschooling and i bow down to our teachers how the hell they do this day in and day out they they nurture our children and they teach them and it's really noble grueling work i mean uh, clearly they're on drugs yeah <laughs> i mean there's no other way to do this yeah oh my goodness okay but when uh covid-19 hit how did it affect the comedy world oh it rocked it grinding halt no shows no open mics no all the tickets i mean i was devastated i had worked so hard to create momentum for my caroline show for hindus all these things that i was building and i had to refund tickets overnight i mean obviously yeah i understood why but to see it all oh my god i was scheduled for all kinds of press for both my shows and everything got canceled in a span of 24 hours oh, and it's happened for all the comedians it wasn't just me all of us took that hit and you know unlike let's say you work in a club or a restaurant and you get fired you can file unemployment mm-hmm. a comedian can't do that we don't have a support structure we're we're freelance artists right you know you're really on your own i mean it's been a frightening time for the world of comedy without a doubt yeah but you know in spite of that you've found ways to pivot so tell us about that i really just shifted my attitude i was like there is a gift in this hiding for me recently did a press article blog post about this that i lost my friends in new york because with the lockdown i couldn't see anybody anything but i found all my old friends in asia i found friends mm-hmm. in hong kong i found friends in india the thought of doing virtual comedy hadn't really occurred to me until i was thrust in that situation yeah and when i put like when i dip one little toe into it like an explosion of opportunities opened up wow and i've never been busier i to be honest i've never been busier i do shows in three time zones almost every day now oh my goodness wow and how long are these shows and what platform are you using generally between 15 and 20 minutes i have found mm-hmm. that uh, watching anything or even uh, on zoom mostly sometimes i get invited to be on other people's platforms and it's fine but i'm personally more comfortable with zoom i know how to work it mm-hmm. i do find that doing anything online face to face is exhausting for both the performer and the person watching yeah so 20 minutes is really the upper limit if i sense that we're at the end i might even cut it off at 16 17 minutes yeah because i would rather end on a high than like drag it out and make the person because you know it's hard to capture somebody's attention i mean they're home the kids are i mean yeah. in every show there's definitely going to be a kid or a pet <laughs> the phone is going to ring inevitably the toilet is going to flush the toilet flush yeah <laughs> and that's life like i'm not right. even complaining you know a lot of comedians don't like doing online shows i actually am like used to being ignored i'm a mom of three <laughs> you know what i mean like some way i'm comfortable with the space of like talking and keeping on going <laughs> through all of it that's great oh my goodness but what is it like you know compared to lives because in a live audience that energy and that face to face kind of connection is made and here it's just like squares on a grid yeah there is magic in a real life connection 
there's no doubt but there is also magic in this new connection first of all i operate with complete faith that my jokes are landing like i don't use a joke until i'm certain that i'm at that level mm. so even if i hear nothing on the other side i have a lot of faith that they're landing and the other thing is that the world is becoming closer the fact that i can entertain an audience in australia is riveting yeah. so yes I, i miss that human connection in new york but the fact that somebody in australia saw my instagram clip and decided to book me that's thrilling at a whole another level total yes and and i'm just choosing to see the best in this because i'm really happy i'm not beholden to a manager or an agent like help me find this or get there like i'm just putting my work out there and people are finding me and that's thrilling and i'm trying to like stay on top of that feeling yes absolutely i love that you're riding this wave and in such an authentic way so when we first met you know we connected on so many levels like being from bombay and you just very honestly shared your story and you told me that comedy has been like a saving grace in your life you didn't find comedy it was always there so take us back to the beginning and wh- why that was in 2 days on april 30th will mark the first time i ever did 5 minutes on a stage I didn't go seeking comedy. Comedy did find me as a business, yeah. but I've used comedy as a weapon my whole life. There were years when the only way I could put food on my table was to make people laugh. Leaving people happy and joyful was the only way I knew I would be invited back. Yeah. And honestly, I read Kevin Hart's biography in the middle of all this and I sat there and I was like this is my story except he is in poverty rooted in poverty and had a mother to shepherd him through it mm-hmm. and mine was actually rooted in affluence in India but I didn't have any parents you know at the time to shepherd me through it but this was my story like how to make people feel good today so you get invited back tomorrow right so that's why I'm not easily hassled if I don't do well on a stage in one show it's not going to affect me as much because i've actually my existence has effect has been dependent on it yes so yes wow yeah and do you feel like through motherhood it's uh riddled with challenges every single day did you just again rely on this inherent comedic voice in your head to get you through one thing i've realized and i've spoken to many veterans like you know famous names real comedians are broken people who see life in this weird way yeah that's why our observations are funny we don't seek to be funny we just observe things in a funny way and put what our observations are out there right so motherhood is certainly a gold mine yeah you know <laughs> gold mine of observations more so than my comedic instincts i have relied on my legal obligation to keep my kids alive mm-hmm. i i have been, there have been moments where i'm like if i wasn't obligated and scared of going to jail this could go a different way right, right. <laughs> especially through the lockdown yeah exactly 
Oh my God, we're hanging on by a thread here. <laughs> oh my God, the amount of fighting, screaming that has gone on, you know, everybody getting on everybody's nerves. Do I watch all that and take a step back and think, oh my God, that's a punchline, right. you know, and then my kids now, they get upset because they're like, mom, do you, are you even watching? Like, he's going to kill me. <laughs> and I'll be like, no, no, wait, that, that's a punchline. I need to write this down. <laughs> Let me get my notebook. Yeah. <laughs> what compelled you to write Rearranged? no one seemed to be doing it. Mm. That was my, you know, I want to see a happy Indian immigrant story. And for years, I thought somebody will do it. Karan Johar will make a Hollywood version of Dilwale Dulhanya, something, somebody. This Bollywood such a big industry. We are so many people. We write love stories. Right. We as a people write love stories. But why those stories were not making it here was very very mystifying to me. Why is it that every brown woman image is sad and like martyrs and mothers who are obsessed with their kids and who they're going to marry? And like none of it is true for me. And I know that there are many, many millions of women like me. And I felt like no one was representing us. Yeah, We're, we're past the stage of obsessing about who our kid is going to marry and whether or not they'll be doctors. <laughs> Exactly. You know, even these jokes are old now. You know what I yeah. mean? We've been done yeah. for 30 years. We've evolved. We've moved on through all this. Yeah. So that was, and then I thought, why not me? I had a moment of like, I can't keep waiting for others to do something I want so badly. Mm. That and the fact that like the reigning champion of romantic comedies in over the last 20 years continues to be my big fat Greek wedding, even through inflation adjusted pricing. I mean, the fact that the Greeks have a story and we don't. Yeah, you yeah. Know, why there's is, a billion of us. And there's so many, exactly. And we have a huge film industry. And I decided to start with what I knew. I mean, you know, I mm-hmm. you know start with what you know. And it was really very basic step one, two, three. I wish right. there was something deeper there, but there wasn't. You told me that writing is actually not your forte. You've said that, you know, yeah. and, but... Hell yes, it is. You won first place at the Austin Festival for comedy screenplay. Um, I think it's two, a few factors. I don't think of myself as any literary person at all. Mm-hmm. The way I grew up in India, you know, nobody ever said, gather around kids. Let's discuss Shakespeare right, right. and his novel, War and Peace. That's not the life that I led. So I don't think yeah. of myself as a literary person at all. I'm a storyteller. Mm. But what has happened and I'm realizing now is that we are in a world of storytelling, Instagram, social media, reality TV. These are all different forms of storytelling. Yeah. So storytelling has been become a very valued uh, skill. So if you read my screenplay, I doubt, I, I mean, it would not win a Pulitzer. It's not that mm-hmm. in the same way that like you could probably find flaws with crazy rich Asians. It's a fun read, right? Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think that that's, I don't think of it as a literary perfect book. Right. Um, the English is half, I mean, all my English is off. Uh-huh. You know, my kids don't even realize what I'm saying half the time. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure that if you read the past winners of Austin too, they may be different. I don't even know who applies to these things and wins. I'm so new to this. Yeah. But what actually um, kind of compelled you to apply that you're like, okay, I'm writing the script. I've found out about um, this film festival and were you just like, what the hell? I'm going to put myself out there and and apply. Because 
out of 11,000 entries, many of whom are Oscar winning screenwriters, you, you took a chance. Tell us about that moment. I think I've learned that I'm big on verifiability. So some st- industry standard needs to tell me that I'm doing something good in my eyes for mm-hmm. it to be a real product. Right. I didn't know much, but like when I looked into who adjudicates these things, I was like, oh, competitions. Okay, that makes sense. People submit. And my brain automatically went to the top of the heap. Like what's the best of the best and why not try for it? Mm -hmm. It's really how it started. And by the way, my comedy is not much different. The day I realized that why doesn't an Indian immigrant woman or why doesn't a brown woman have a headlining show? If you think of how much media is consumed by brown women, it's all us. Yeah. I mean, who's Netflixing Netflixing and chilling all the day? It's all <laughs> our people. So the day I reached that realization, I didn't hesitate one bit before going straight to Caroline's, which is this which is the top comedy club in the nation. Yes. I, I was like, I should start there and then see how it goes. Right. So my brain also didn't know. You know, when you don't know, you you start with the best off list. Yes, yes. But then, I mean, doing it is another story. So, I mean, I personally witnessed a packed house on your opening night of 300 plus guests roaring with laughter. I mean, that just must have been so surreal, right? Oh, I mean, I was just ecstatic. I felt like India had arrived. Yeah. Because you were there. I mean, we turned Mm -hmm. the whole place into India. We had Bollywood music playing. We had... Indian accoutrements. We had Diaz lighting up the yes. tables, you know? Yeah. If they're going to market to our people, I think having one show as a regular show for our people is not much to ask. Mm-hmm. If you exactly. see who is populating these comedy clubs and these movie theaters, it's a sea of minority people now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to Especially create, in metros like New York City. Exactly. So to create something that reflects their life, their heritage, I was happy, of course, for myself, but I really felt like India had arrived with me. And mm. with a woman, you know, with a mother, not, it didn't have to be a celebrity. It didn't have to be Priyanka Chopra, who's amazing, by the way. But yeah. you don't have to be Priyanka Chopra to do something. Yes. You don't have yeah. to be this unattainable Rithik Roshan body to do something. Every one of us can do li- a little something and make a dent. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And that's so inspiring that you say that. Comedy is so much harder than drama. How how do you find inspiration to write and come up with your punchlines and be comedic? Uh, I think drama would be hard for me. Comedy Mm. is harder for many, most people. And I've heard this and I believe it. But the way my brain is wired, I think drama would be hard for me. Like I see things a different way. And I know that now. I didn't know that two, even two years ago, but mm-hmm. having spent as much time as I have with comedians. So yes, getting to a fantastic punchline is a lot of work. I'm not going to lie. That doesn't just fall out of your head. Okay. Yeah. But the view of it, the perspective of a situation is the starting point of the genesis, right? For example, my mother-in-law jokes are very popular. They are yeah. like crowd pleasers. <laughs> best but viewing my mother-in-law as a terrorist trying to break in through the security of airports. <laughs> so, and it's, by the way, my mother-in-law and I get along great. So it's not even that we hate each other at all. It's funny. when I Whenever yeah. I see her off and pick her up, these are the thoughts that occur to me. Right. <laughs> and now I sit down with that premise and perspective and work on building that, building up to a punchline. 
and getting a punchline there is no other way it's all trial and error you keep writing you keep trying you keep writing you keep trying so i do multiple when things were open i was doing multiple open mics every single night keeping the words that work removing the words that didn't work is then it's the standard issue of how to write a joke okay and i mean there is an artistry behind it because there is a formula in in coming up with with these jokes and punchlines and scenarios and anecdotes right uh there is definitely a formula there is a math behind it it is a very structured art form and and i approach it the same way most mainstream comedians approach it you know you write it out you work it out what are you trying to say it, it really is a painstakingly hard laborious process of writing and trying now comedy is a is a different beast in that all the trial happens in public lot of it you try on stage during shows and some things will fall flat yeah why is there a dearth of women in this field are there barriers to entry or what because when you think of women comedians like i'm thinking of you know um the renowned ones that i follow whether it's an amy schumer or ali wong or angela johnson where is everybody why is it so dominated by men because like all things systemically it has been men who control it and they give each other jobs they give each other gigs they give each other leads the only reason i'm able to break through is because i have decided to own the process from beginning to end mm. i'm producing my own show i'm writing my own show i'm performing in my own show and i undertake the risk that the tickets will sell no one is going to say call me and say oh hey zarna you want to collaborate because i don't go out drinking with them i don't watch football with them i don't play poker mm. with them my life is very different yeah. there is there are no common spaces where we're going to hang out no right. talent agent is coming looking for me i can assure you that because mm. the places where these people meet the structures that have been created they they're designed to favor men yeah and, and let alone a woman with three kids yeah. they don't even know what to do with me you know uh, and i've been to like comedy seminars you know bookers and people talking they'll be like you just keep doing work you will be found i was saying mm, i don't think i will be found <laughs> yeah 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 don't worry i think i will I'll have to i will have myself. to find do the finding and put my yeah. on it <laughs> <laughs> exactly oh no i love how you're taking ownership of that you know being um a wife and a mom How does your family take it? What kind of support and feedback or like sentiments do you have from your husband and your three kids? They're tremendous. Tremendously supportive. I couldn't do it without them. Uh I mean they've they've revolutionized how I feel about myself. I think they've known that I've struggled with this for many years, like not feeling like I'm doing something of my own. I was a stay-at-home mom for 15 years, but a part of me was just dying slowly. Part of me that was ambitious and driven. I mean, I've been obsessed with learning about businesses my whole life. I think I was 12 or 13 when I was reading business publications. So it's a world that I like and it just took so long to get here. And my kids know that. You know, on our weekends, it's not uncommon for me to pull out like Forbes or Fast Company and be like, What do you think made this company work? Like what what's connecting? And that's that's what I like to talk about. So the fact that it took me so many years and now my kids are older, I have two teenagers. Uh my third one is a little young, but the two teenagers were like you can't not do something, mom. And so when this moment finally presented itself, they all rallied around. My husband loves it. 
I mean, he also thinks he can press the mute button on me, but that's a different, you know. <laughs> yeah, now it's now he you can. can. <laughs> yeah, but he's not surprised at all. He will tell you, and he will tell anybody that people think this all happened in the last year or two, but it's been twenty years in the making. Every year that I got any money for, like you know, the kids, my Mother's Day, five dollars in their little handmade cards, or my husband would be like, buy something for yourself. Every year for twenty years, I put that money aside that one day I will have my business because I knew I wanted to get there, even though I didn't know how and when. I'm not like look at me. I wear like a fifty dollar cotton kurta that I designed myself and had a Chinese tailor make for me. <laughs> I had no desire to buy anything, go anywhere. It was always about creating a business. Right. So now that I'm there, they're very supportive, extremely supportive. Aww. Can you, I want you to share the story of Zoya. Can you do that? So at the tipping point, when I had finished my screenplay and I was really struggling with how to get my voice out there, this was before the Austin win. I'd finished the screenplay. I couldn't get anybody to read it. I was literally body slamming myself against celebrities, producers, directors, whoever I could find, wherever I could find them. and trying to get them to read these papers nothing nothing was working and i was sitting there i was like i don't know how to show the world this thing that i've created and my daughter was like you need to do something funny and i was like what though you know to an indian person what does that mean nothing yeah yeah do something yeah. funny yeah. like do what yeah. i mean my family in india still calls me a joker <laughs> because they don't know it's not meanness it's not mean spirited yeah. at all like my brother right. will call people be like my sister is a joker in new york <laughs> <laughs> okay. And he loves me. It's not being yeah. at all. They just don't yeah, know yeah. They, yeah. They can't place it. It's true. So my daughter then decided on her own to reach out to seventy of my closest friends, family, people I've worked with, and had them text her their favorite memory of me, and then inscribed each memory into a little card and put it in a jar and gave me the whole jar on my birthday, which was in February. last year and said don't believe me don't believe anybody in this house but why don't you read these notes and like one note after i mean i'm talking people i knew 30 years ago and haven't met since wow who were like you made us laugh you remember that diwali dinner or what like yeah i wept so much and i was sitting there thinking okay i have to do something funny if i affected so many people who have no reason to write any of this they could just as easily ignore her text mm-hmm. but if they've taken the trouble to get here and that that became the the journey of like what to do with the funny yes that's that's that gave me the courage and the motivation i i couldn't bear to see my daughter's work just go into vain i felt mm. like god was sending me some signal that yeah. i was just being obtuse and not willing to receive Right, right. Well, you have, and I mean, you know, again, your show at Caroline's was proof because you know she was in happy tears, and I mean, watching that, I was everybody <laughs> around her was um, because she was so immensely proud of her mom. Yeah, she was, and I was. Cry- I mean, we were all crying. 
I'm sure Caroline's was like, we don't know what is happening here today. <laughs> Emotional rollercoaster happening here. <laughs> because at the beginning of the show, we had the drapes and the curtains and the flowers. The end right. of the show, all the women were weeping, even though it was a great comedy show. <laughs> they were like, listen, you know, I know the booker who hired me was like, listen, you do you. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Sure. I told him, I said, listen, this is how we show love. We get engaged, yeah. we cry. We get married, we cry. Yeah. If we make money, we cry. Like this is, yeah. get used to it. <laughs> it's true. It's so true. Zarna, so I mean, there's nothing like experiencing uh, your comedy. So you have to give us a little taste now. So, you know, I wish I, you know, I, I'm going to try my best, Kanika, because I am an immigrant. I mean, I came to America with $9 in my pocket. 10,000 in the bank, but nine in the pocket. Yeah. <laughs> but I miss my family back home, especially right now. I mean, my food, my culture, my servants. Mm. So I've been married for 21 years to a really nice man with a perfect Indian couple. We do math for fun. Right. And we take romantic walks uh, in the park and we discuss interest rates. <laughs> yes. He's amazing. I love him. He's brilliant. He went to a great college, has an amazing job. And I know this because his mother reminds me every day. <laughs> I've never said I love you to my husband. And if he said it to me, I would know he's cheating on me <laughs> with a white woman. Because where else would he learn this nonsense? <laughs> exactly. And we've never had a candlelight dinner either. We came to America for the electricity. Yeah. <laughs> so we have three kids. They are also the perfect Indian kids, obviously. At least that's what the nanny tells us. <laughs> um, so my 16-year-old daughter recently asked me if Indian people even love each other. Because, you know, culturally, she doesn't see us hold hands or kissing. Do you even, you know, you know. Right. So I told her, I said, well, you're here. Mm. And why do you think we pay for so many tennis lessons? <laughs> and Indian people only wrote the ultimate book on sex, to which she responded, we wrote Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> but my 14-year-old son, my very handsome 14-year-old son, walks to school with a girl. So I follow them. <laughs> and my husband has been very impressed that our son is walking to school with a white blonde girl and I don't have a problem with it. And I tell him, it's nothing to worry about. It's not like she's going to get into a great high school. <laughs> I also have an eight-year-old son. I forget about him sometimes. <laughs> my neighbors remind me though. I have to yell at my husband. I'll be like, who let him out? <laughs> I don't know what to say about him. I don't really know him. <laughs> but the biggest presence in my life is my mother-in-law. You know, she lives in India, but she comes to America for three months at a time. <laughs> you know, and I understand it. The ticket is expensive. India is far. And she's got to get her money's worth out of torturing me. Like, mm. <laughs> okay. and, and when she's coming, she'll ask me, what can I bring for you? And I'll tell her, pack a gun. <laughs> bring yeah. some cocaine. Throw some mangoes in the bag. <laughs> all these ideas and yet she breezes past security <laughs> and when she's leaving I try to make it easy for her 
you know, I'll tell her, check yes on every immigration question. <laughs> she doesn't speak much English. So I just tell her, check yes. Did you have a good time in America? Yes. Are you a terrorist? Yes. <laughs> Were you planning to kill somebody? Yes. <laughs> Do you think that she's on a criminal watch list? Oh, no. She gets a wheelchair and a priority pass. <laughs> the woman could be, the woman could be, Smoking a hookah and her shoes could be on fire. They're going to let her in. <laughs> the agent at the gate will say, thank you so much. Come again. No, come again. I'm a U.S. citizen now. Build a wall around her. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, as you know, this show is called That's Total Mom Sense. And I truly believe as moms, we have this built-in sixth sense. Or mom sense, and we just know what our kids need. Tell us a time when you trusted your mom sense. So my kids, all three of them, were comfortably settled in a top New York City private school, top considered by whatever lists come out, and you know, by all measurable metrics, they were doing great. The report card, the sp- sports, and they were very happy. But I wasn't happy. I never felt that we belonged in that world. That culture, that the things that they emphasize in that world never felt right to me. And in New York City, I felt so confined because transitioning from private to public or, you know, the options, it's a very, very complicated school system. It's unlike anything else. And I, you know, I had to really trust my gut one year three years ago and say, I just cannot keep them in a system I don't believe in at all Mm. that does not reflect our family values. That as the CEO of my family, I have to take the right decision that I believe aligns with us and who we are. And even though they have the grades and they have this and they're happy, I have to pull the plug on this and take us in a different direction. I felt like I took a big risk because, you know, you never know if the other thing will work out. Right. Yeah. But I really, in the end, relied on my gut for that one. That's amazing. And, you know, how has it turned out now that you're three years in? It's fantastic. I think it was a right move for us. I think the value system, our personal family value system aligns much better with the public school system. It's Mm -hmm. not without its challenges. No system is perfect. Private school wasn't perfect. Public school is not perfect. Nothing is perfect. But this feels more right about and in line with who we are as people. Yeah, that's beautiful. Let's not forget our quote of the day. Tell us a quote that you live by. My favorite quote is, no one is more blind than the person who doesn't want to see. So I spent many years you know, trying to convince people here and there of things and my point of view and even my kids, I no longer do that. I don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the energy. And quite frankly, I know I don't have the ability. People believe what they want to believe. Mm. You know, uh, somebody's chosen not to see a particular aspect of life. That's their choice. And I now no longer engage in all that. And that's my favorite belief. Wow. That's so profound and something that I feel like we often overlook, you know. Well, I think the political situation in the country right now is proof of this. Yeah. It's completely divided. One side is going to believe what they want. The other side is going to believe what they want. Right. 
And what a waste of time to try to convince anybody. Yeah, exactly. Be laser focused and steadfast in your beliefs and to hell with everything else. It's now time for Mom Hall when we share products we love. Is there a product that you're loving and you're like, I just want to share this with all my girlfriends? So I wear yoga pants a lot like every other woman in the world. Mm-hmm. But I have to wear cotton yoga pants. Like I don't like the that fabric that is extremely stretchy and like spandex and the spandex. Like, yeah. I get cold in that. I mean, I will, we live in New York. It's cold. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't I, like I'm always too. mystified when I see people walking around in spandex all day mm-hmm. and how they like, I buy these $16 cotton boot cut yoga pants on Amazon. I think champion makes them. Mm -hmm. And like, I feel so nice and warm and cozy. I'm always rebuying them. And it's something I would like to share with everybody. And also if anybody wants to inform me how they're staying warm in the, in that spandex stuff, I I would be happy to learn. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But it's a mystery. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. They, they aren't the most comfortable at times, you know, like you just, there's nothing like um, 100% cotton or like sweats, you know? I think so. Yeah. My mom haul are a few products from Wander Beauty mm. and Divya Gugnani, the founder I know um, is known to both of us and she's a dear friend. It truly is fewer, better beauty essentials. And for moms, you know, it's all about no fuss, no muss, right? Like I just, I can't deal with a shit ton of makeup products in in my cosmetic bag. I'm not that mom. So there's two products I want to share. One is the Lip Setter Dual Lipstick and Liner. I don't know. I feel like I'm only, I only look put together when I have the lip liner and the lipstick, you know? Yes, absolutely. Right? And it's just the fact that it's like two in one brilliant it's absolutely brilliant you know i love that they are novel and coming up with something like that and the other product that i'm loving is the um illusion liquid uh foundation oh the best isn't it it's like you find your exact shade and um on top of that it's in a tube not a bottle which I love because again, we're throwing this foundation bottle, you know, sometimes in a diaper bag or, you know, a carry all or what have you. Um, I mean, glove compartment, you know, and you can't um, have this like fancy glass bottle, you know, around kids. So tube again, just so smart. And um, you literally get to squeeze every last ounce. So you use it all. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I love this brand. As, uh, you know, an endorser of the brand, I do have a code that I can share with all of you mamas out there. And it is MOMSENSE in all caps. Now tell us where my listeners can find you. Oh, I am everywhere. I am (laughs) zarnagarg.com. Uh, my website, which has all my information. I'm at Zarna Garg on Instagram. I'm at Zarna Garg official on Facebook and at Zarna Garg on Twitter as well. You have made yourself known in um, such a compelling, authentic way and the world is happier for it. So thank you. Thank you, Zarna. Thank you for having me, Kanika. Always such a fun chat with you. And I'm so inspired by you, three little kids and this podcast, the branding. I mean, all that you do. And I'm very, very grateful to have found you as a friend. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope we made you laugh and smile, something we all desperately need right now. 
If you're loving my show, please, please leave me a review wherever you listen. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, Spotify. I am so thankful for all of you and my audience for supporting me on my journey. And if you have any feedback or just want to say hi, email me at that's total mom sense at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and stay strong, super mamas. Bye. That's total mom sense.